70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, KBS World Radio listeners. I am Kang Jung-hung from Zhejiang, China. First of all, congratulations on the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio. I've been listening to KBS World Radio since 2016. The channel's been with me ever since and offered me a lot of things, including knowledge on Korean society and life in Korea, as well as the latest news. I also learned through KBS World Radio that the Korean people, including the young people, are striving to make their lives better. From their stories, I realized we all have the power within us to make society and our lives better. Lastly, I want to wish all the staff members and hosts health and success. Happy 70th birthday. KBS World Radio. Seventy years with KBS World Radio. Seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Tuesday the 21st of November and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang South Korea and the United Kingdom are set to sign the Downing Street Accord during President Yoon's trip to London, upgrading relations to a global strategic partnership. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Reports have emerged this year that with the easing of COVID-19 restrictions, China has resumed repatriating North Korean defectors. We discuss the concerning issue for our in-depth today. And coming up for Touch Base in Seoul, we connect with the pitcher Casey Kelly, who helped the LG Twins capture their first championship title in 29 years last week. Let's begin today's Crow 24. President Yoon Suk-yeol touched down in London on Monday local time for a four-day state visit marking the 140th anniversary of diplomatic relations. South Korea and Britain are set to adopt an agreement upgrading their cooperation, dubbed the Downing Street Accord. It will enhance their current broad and creative partnership to a global strategic partnership and deepen joint efforts in diverse areas. For this and our other major headlines of the day, we have joining us in the studio, Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service, Kim In-kyung, In-kyung hello. Hello, Tanner. Let's get straight to the accord. Can you tell us what the agreement entails? The two sides will upgrade their current broad and creative partnership to a global strategic partnership. The agreement will emphasize the two countries' unified stance on Korean Peninsula issues, including North Korea's nuclear program, while expressing their joint commitment to respond to global issues such as the war in Ukraine and the situation in the Indo-Pacific and the Middle East. They will also officially agree to cooperation in multilateral meetings, such as the UN Security Council, the Group of 20 and the Group of 7. 
In addition to the accord, the two sides will sign an agreement to increase their capabilities to respond to cyber threats, a letter of intent on a defense cooperation partnership, and a memorandum of understanding on on joint arms exports. Economic matters are also on the agenda. South Korea and the UK will begin negotiations to improve their free trade agreement, which took effect in January 2021, and sign an MOU and semiconductor cooperation. They also plan to collaborate in high-tech sectors, including artificial intelligence, nuclear power, space and clean energy. Yes, Yoon is also scheduled to attend an official welcome ceremony, luncheon and dinner at Buckingham Palace on Tuesday and also deliver a speech in English to British Parliament. A summit with the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is scheduled for Wednesday as well. We'll continue to cover all the latest from London on our show this week. Let's shift now to North Korea because the Defence Ministry had previously said that Pyongyang's third attempt to launch a military reconnaissance satellite is imminent. That time frame became more specific on Tuesday. Can you explain? This morning, North Korea notified the Japan Coast Guard of its plan to launch a satellite between Wednesday and the end of this month. Japan is the regional coordinator for the International Maritime Organization, and under IMO guidelines, member states are obligated to disclose any plans for military drills or other activities that could pose a threat to vessels in advance. Pyongyang's notice listed three maritime danger zones, two in waters off the north-southwestern region and a third in the Pacific Ocean east of the Philippines. All three outside Japan's exclusive economic zones. Still, the Coast Guard issued a navigation warning and asked ships in the area to be careful. Similar notifications were issued to Japan when Pyongyang attempted its first and second spy satellite launches back in May and August of this year. That's right. And that brings us to speculate that the launch may occur as soon as tomorrow. Defense Ministry spokesperson Chun Hagyu said on Tuesday that the first and second launches lifted off in the dawn on the first day of the notice period. He said the ministry is closely watching for a possible third attempt in the early morning of Wednesday, depending on weather conditions. The defense ministry also reiterated its warning to North Korea, calling for a complete halt of the launch. Chun said that if the regime goes ahead with the spy satellite launch, South Korea's military will take necessary measures to guarantee the safety of the people. What other measures are being taken ahead of the launch? In a show of force against Pyongyang, the U.S.'s nuclear-powered USS Carl Vinson aircraft carrier arrived at a naval base in the southeastern city of Busan on Tuesday, hours after North Korea notified Japan of its planned launch. The visit is part of Washington's pledge to expand the deployment of its strategic assets to the Korean peninsula during summit talks between President Yoon and President Biden in April. The Carl Vinson is the third U.S. aircraft carrier to visit the country this year, following the arrival of the USS Nimitz in March and the USS Ronald Reagan in October. Okay, let's look at some other domestic news as well now. Labour and management of Seoul's city-run subway operator are in last-minute negotiations as they seek to head off a union strike over downsizing. Can you tell us more? Seoul Metro, which operates subway lines 1 through 8 and part of Line 9, and unions affiliated with both of the nation's major umbrella groups sat down for negotiations at 4 p.m. Of the two umbrella groups, the Korean Confederation of Trade Unions is expected to stage a general strike from Wednesday if talks break down. So what's the issue at stake? 
Seoul Metro has announced plans to cut about 2,200 jobs, around 14% of its workforce by 2026, to improve its finances amid a substantial deficit. Labor has called on management to scrap the plan, saying the reduction could lead to safety problems. During previous negotiations, management proposed 616 new hires in the second half of this year, up from the previously planned 388. The union demanded 868 to guarantee two-person on-site teams, consignment workers and retirement replacements. Finally, as the government seeks to increase the number of doctors in the country, the health ministry had asked medical schools to submit the increase in enrolment that they would like. The ministry described disclosed that number today. Can you tell us more? The tally was announced on Tuesday after two delays. Medical schools across the nation have requested that the admissions quota be increased by a maximum of 2,847 in 2025. That's almost double the current cap of 3,058 students. The survey of 40 medical schools nationwide showed that the schools favor an approximately 70 to 93 percent hike from the current enrollment. The desire for an increase limit was unanimous, with the amount ranging from a minimum of 2,100 and a maximum of 2,847. The survey also showed that medical schools want an additional maximum of 3,953 students by 2030. The doctors group, the Korea Medical Association, however, immediately warned that the government will face a fiercer backlash than in 2020 if it pushes ahead with increasing the enrollment quota without scientific grounds and sufficient communication. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. The number of North Korean refugees reaching South Korea has been on the rise this year after dropping dramatically during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, while defections may have increased, reports indicate that China has resumed forcibly sending back defectors to North Korea, where they face severe punishments. South Korea and the international community have condemned the practice, labelling it a violation of international laws. To discuss the situation, we have today Ambassador Robert King, who served as Special Envoy for North Korean Human Rights Issues at the U.S. State Department during the Obama administration. He has been closely observing this issue. He joins us via video today. Ambassador King, hello, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Let us start with the recent uptick in North Korean refugees arriving in South Korea. Can you brief us on the situation? How significant has the uptick been and what's been behind it? Uh, I'd say basically the uptick is, it is an increase, but it's a very modest increase. Uh, During the first nine months of this year, there have been uh, 135 uh, North Koreans who have been able to reach South Korea. That number is significantly better than last year when for the whole year there were only 65 individuals who were able to uh, reach uh, South Korea uh, from North Korea and the lengthy trip that it takes to get there. Uh, So yeah, it's an increase, but this is 
a very, very small number. Uh, when you look at the situation in terms of what things were just a couple of years ago, it's a significant decline. Mm. Uh, during the peak period during the last 20 years or so, uh, there were uh, 2,700, 2,800 who were successfully uh, able to leave uh, North Korea, able to reach South Korea, and were resettled in South Korea. So, yeah, there are a few more who su succeeded in, in reaching South Korea this year, but the number is still far, far below what it was earlier. Right. And why has that been the case? What caused uh, the defections, uh, especially in recent years, to decline so dramatically? Well, up until uh, two or three years ago, there were still close to a thousand North Koreans who were able to reach South Korea. This was in, I think, uh, 2019. Uh, the biggest problem is, is most likely the COVID pandemic. Uh, the pandemic created a great deal of concern in North Korea because they had very little available to deal with. The, the problems of the pandemic. They have a healthcare system that is uh, under serious stress. At the same time, there was an inability to uh, uh, be able to uh, uh, continue the, the levels of uh, a movement of people from mm. North Korea to South Korea. As the North Koreans tightened the borders to deal with the COVID pandemic, it became much, much more difficult for North Koreans to leave uh, their country right. and find their way to South Korea. The problem in China is also similar. The Chinese uh, tightened their borders and made it much more difficult. Most of the North Koreans uh, who are successful in reaching South Korea usually have uh, had to cross through China. Hmm. And as the Chinese tightened the border because of the COVID pandemic, uh, it made it even more difficult in terms of getting there. So that's that's kind of where we are. Right. So the number of defections, they're nowhere near close to what we saw before the pandemic, but we are seeing uh, a trend uh, upwards, uh, at least. Uh, you mentioned how uh, the primary route that defectors used to escape North Korea was through China via the land border uh, north of North Korea. Is that still the primary route now? It appears that that's where most of the North Koreans are uh, are still going. Uh, one thing that uh, <clears throat> may suggest the tightness of the border may have may be opening up uh, other possibilities. Uh, very few North Koreans were successful at going directly from North Korea to South Korea uh, by boat. Uh, it's difficult because the the borders, uh, the, the coastal waters of North Korea are carefully patrolled by the North Koreans. Uh, but with the difficulty going through China, there may be an indication that there will be, uh, this might be a, a new route that uh, people might find available. Mm. There are a few North Koreans, I think there was a group of four that uh, arrived via boat uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I think that may be an indication that, of something that's going on. It's certainly not a huge change, but it is noteworthy. 
Right, perhaps that is a trend we need to look out for uh, going forward as well, if perhaps more people attempt via boat as well. So it may seem somewhat of good news, I guess, that more people are finally uh, being able to escape from North Korea. But on the flip side of that situation as well, as we mentioned earlier, there are reports that China are sending back defectors uh, they catch to North Korea. Can you tell us what we know about this situation at the moment? Do we know how many have been caught and repatriated by China? Uh, We're not sure of the numbers. Uh, These are figures that we simply don't have because the North Koreans and the Chinese don't publish information about it. There does seem to be... uh, Estimates are uh, somewhere around uh, 2,000, 2,500 uh, North Koreans who've been captured by the uh, Chinese as they have sought to leave North Korea. And the Chinese held them uh, in China because of the pandemic. They were not allowed to return to North Korea because of the pandemic. They were not allowed to go out of uh, China. And uh, the result is that... uh, uh, there was a backup, a backlog built up of North Koreans who were seeking to escape. Uh, what appears to have happened is that uh, as North Korea, as the, the COVID pandemic appears to have waned in North Korea, the North Koreans are now will, more willing to accept uh, Koreans that the Chinese would like to return. And so this is apparently what's happening in terms of the the repatriation of North Koreans. Uh, A number of countries have expressed concern. This is an issue that's been raised. The UN Special Envoy, uh, I mean, the the, uh, UN Special Rapporteur for North Korea Human Rights Issues uh, has raised concerns about the numbers of people being available uh, to be repatriated and the increasing numbers who are being repatriated. And she's expressed uh, serious concern about this problem. Can you remind our listeners why it's so concerning to see defectors being sent back to North Korea? What sort of fate do they face when they are sent back? It's particularly difficult. The North Koreans are particularly brutal in terms of the way they treat people. Uh, and particularly North Koreans who've chosen to leave North Korea, who've gone to China and who are seeking to go elsewhere. Uh, as a result, it's been particularly difficult on these people. They are, when they are returned to North Korea, uh, in most cases, they are sent to uh, prisons of one kind or another. Uh, some of them who, for some reason, are judged uh, to be particularly egregious in the violation of uh, of leaving North Korea, uh, are executed. We don't know the numbers. We don't know uh, the total figures. But there are a number of uh, accounts over the years that have established very much what the practice is in North Korea. It's a very brutal regime, and it's uh, unfortunate for the people who are returned against their will to, uh, to North Korea. And the North Korean defectors who are caught in China Uh, they often face difficult conditions under Chinese authorities as well, right? Yes, the the Chinese uh, are not at all uh, helpful to individuals who are North Korean citizens. 
uh, who, uh, for one reason or another, uh, remained in China. There's a fairly large number of uh, North Koreans who work in China. Some of them work there legally through uh, arrangements between the North Korean government and the Chinese government uh, to allow uh, North Koreans to work there. The Chinese are able to use the workers in particularly Northeast China and those areas. But at the same time, uh, it's particularly difficult because the people who are uh, forced to uh, return to North Korea uh, particularly those who are not there under uh, conditions and circumstances that the North Korean government has arranged for, uh, are always brutally treated. They're always punished. Right. And so now that uh, COVID restrictions have been eased somewhat, the practice of China resending, uh, sending back North Korean defectors to North Korea has been on the rise. It's restarted again. A UN General Assembly committee last week passed a resolution on North Korean human rights for the 19th consecutive year, and that's amid growing concerns of the safety of North Korean escapees who uh, have been repatriated from China. Uh, it's welcome news on one hand, but disconcerting for the fact that resolutions had to be adopted for the 19th year. What can be done to address this issue uh, by the international community? It does seem that there is very little that can be done directly. Uh, it's a situation that, as you say, very little can be done. The North Koreans uh, are in a very strong position. The relationship they have with China is such. The Chinese are willing to uh, return North Koreans who uh, are citizens of North Korea and it makes it very difficult, uh, even though the circumstances are, are, are very difficult. Uh, the Chinese are not particularly sensitive about uh, these kind of, uh, of problems with the North Koreans. Uh, the way the, the thing that I think probably is the most important consideration is that the United Nations continues to press on North Korean citizens and their human rights, the violations that we've encountered. Uh, the international community, those who are concerned about the fate of North Koreans who would like to uh, leave North Korea and uh, like to resettle in South Korea, uh, they're not able to do so easily, but we need to continue to press the North Koreans, and we need to continue to press the Chinese. Uh, the North Koreans and Chinese don't come out of this looking particularly good. Uh, the resolutions that have been adopted by the United Nations are critical of North Korea. They are critical of China. And it's reached the point that uh, they don't bother to take a vote because the vote always tends to be overwhelmingly supportive of these uh, refugees who are unfortunately punished uh, for trying to find a better place to, a better way to, to live and to be able to enjoy human rights that they're denied. And continuing to raise the issue, continuing to press North Korea and continuing to press China only keeps the issue alive. The, the worst thing is to expect that we're going to have immediate success and if we don't uh, change to another topic. We need to continue to press the North Koreans, we need to continue to press the Chinese, and we need to, to keep that going. Right, so continue to 
closely monitor the situation while also raising the issue and pushing the regime as well. Well, thank you today for your time and briefing us on this situation. It is very disconcerting, uh, but yes, we will continue to uh, cover this topic where we can. Uh, we'll leave it there for today. We've been talking to uh, Ambassador Robert King, uh, former Special Envoy for North Korean human rights, uh, human rights Issues at the U.S. Department of State. Thank you once again for your time today. Thank you for raising the issue and keeping focus on it. Thanks. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 19.22 points, or 0.77% on Tuesday, to close the day at 2,510.42. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also jumped, climbing 3.93 points, or 0.48%, to close at 817.01. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 2.41 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,289.21. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, we have Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have joining us in the studio now, Diane Yu, one of our contributors for this segment. Diane, hello. It's uh, good to see you. Hello, Jango. Okay, so what do you have for us today? In order to save our planet, it's best to minimize any food waste as such waste can have serious economic and environmental consequences. However, it was discovered that the amount of leftover food from elementary, middle and high schools that is being thrown away has been on the rise. According to data from the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education on Monday, the amount of leftover food waste generated in schools in Seoul over the past three years increased from 13,550 tons in 20 2020 to 34,230 tons last year. Wow, I understand that's a jump of more than 250%. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why we witnessed such a big jump by 2022? Well, this is because the number of students eating meals provided by schools increased in time for relaxed COVID-19 pandemic measures. The number rose from less than 500,000 in 2020 to over 909,000 last year. So the number almost doubled. Mm. So along with more students eating uh, school meals, food waste increased accordingly and altogether leading to increased waste processing costs. The processing costs, which remain at 2.8 billion won in 2020 was calculated to be 6.8 billion won last year. That's a jump from about $2.2 million to $5.2 million. I see. So perhaps if we compare the figures to pre-pandemic times, there might be less of a gap. Mm. Uh, But still, these figures are a reminder that we need to try and cut the amount of food waste due to, as you mentioned earlier, environmental and economic consequences. Mm -hmm. Right. So the amount of food leftovers from schools in Seoul is less than 1% of the total food waste emission in the country. But experts urge that the amount should be reduced as it has a negative impact on the climate. This is because carbon dioxide is inevitably generated when food waste is recycled into compost or feed. Right. Action is already being taken by some. Uh, Some schools have incorporated 
clever ways to make their students finish their meals without any leftovers, right? Right. Schools across the country are making efforts to reduce the leftovers. For example, Hyowon High School in Suwon, Gyeonggi Province, is said to have reduced the amount of leftover food this year by 55% compared to last year. This was done by giving incentives to students when they clean their plates, such as handing out grilled lobster tails for lunch. Right, offering tastier meals would certainly encourage right. more students to clear their plates. Mm. It's not just for schools and students, of course. It's certainly an issue to think about for everyone in, right. our, in their daily lives yeah. as well. Okay, let's move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Many in Korea are hearing about a bizarre incident that took place in the middle of a road in Seoul earlier this month. A video of a woman in her 40s dancing and acting strangely after she was involved in a traffic collision has gone viral. After running a breathalyzer test, it was confirmed that she had not consumed alcohol, but it was discovered that she was under the influence of drugs. Take us back to the scene. You said the incident took place earlier this month. Yes, on November 2nd, a collision occurred between a passenger car and a dump truck on a road in Seoul's Sacho district. The police were dispatched to the scene and noticed that the behavior of the woman who was driving the car was rather off and strange. In the video footage taken from the dashboard camera from the car behind, the woman took out all her luggage from the trunk, put them on the floor, bowed her head to the police when they showed up, and then began to stagger and speak gibberish. Yes, so she also starts to flail her body around mm. and jump around as well, like she was dancing, as you said earlier. Right. The footage, it's very disturbing. So after seeing her weird behavior, the police first tested whether she had been drinking, mm-hmm. but that came out negative. Correct. That's why they conducted the drug test. Right. Suspecting drug use due to her continued strange behavior, the police accompanied her to perform a simple drug test, which came back positive for methamphetamine. A syringe used to inject the drug was also found in the car. After doing a background check on her, it was found that she had a criminal record for drug use. So the woman was arrested on November 9th on charges of violating the Narcotics Control Act and the Road Traffic Act. Well, first, thank God it didn't lead to a more serious traffic accident. Right. But yes, this story has gone viral and it's uh, further raising public anxiety over growing drug use in Korea mm-hmm. at the moment. Let's continue on now to our third and final story. What else has been trending? With the advancement of technology, the scope of what we can experience and feel has been broadened more than ever. Now we're able to travel back in time and experience what it feels like to live in the past. According to the Seoul Metropolitan Government, the city of Seoul held an opening ceremony for the digital reconstruction of the 1887 Gyeongbokgung Palace Jinarye on Tuesday and unveiled historical and cultural tourism content reconstructed in augmented reality and extended reality. This was done together with the Cultural Heritage Administration, the Wumi Hope Foundation and Chael Worldwide. Okay, so for our listeners who might be hearing the term for the first time, what is Chinare exactly? Well, I'm pretty sure it's something new to our local listeners as well. <laughs> Chinare is a large-scale court ceremony which was held to mark the 80th anniversary of Queen Xinjiang, the longest-lived queen of the Joseon dynasty. During the ceremony, a lot of high-ranking officials participated along with the king himself, relatives and civil servants to congratulate the queen and pray for the peace and prosperity of the country. Yes, it sounds like quite an important part of Korean history and now both Koreans and tourists alike will be able to experience it 
thanks to this uh, digital reproduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it must have been hard to make it historically accurate. Right, I'm sure. In order to achieve a high-quality digital reproduction, extensive historical research was conducted using various historical records. And many different history and culture experts participated in the project, including Tanguk University professor Kim Munshik, who is an expert on Joseon dynasty rituals, Korea Cultural Heritage Foundation expert An Taehyuk, and a traditional clothing expert Lee Minju. Right, so how can people enjoy this experience? You can experience Jinare at Gyeongbokgung Palace by downloading the Heritage Metaverse app Gongjon in Korean or Heriverse in English from phone app stores. When you run the app, the Jinare scene from 136 years ago unfolds in augmented reality. Along with the court music of the Joseon dynasty playing in the background, more than 300 people, including King Kojong, can be seen. There is also a 55-inch touchscreen kiosk installed in the palace and visitors can enjoy the AR wide view of Chinare and get a 3D experience of major ceremonial objects. Right, that's all for today's Korea Trending. Diane, thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. See you next time. After 29 long years of hurt, the ALG twins finally did it. Last Monday, the Seoul Club won their first Korean series title since 1994. They beat the KT Wiz in five games in the best of seven series. This ends the second longest championship drought in the history of the Korea baseball organization. And for this week's Touch Basins Hole, we connect with one of the key members of that team, pitcher Casey Kelly, whose excellent pitching in the series helped every Twins fan's dreams come true. He joins us on the he joins us via video now, Mr. Kelly. Hello, and thank you for your time today. Hi, how are you, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on. Well, first, a huge congratulations on an incredible championship title and an incredible season. I mean. Have the celebrations stopped yet? <laughs> no, they haven't. I think we've just been continually to to celebrate every day and every night, and just uh, just still so excited about you know finally being able to bring the title back to LG. Take us back to that final game, the final moments when that final out came. What went through your mind? What did it feel like? What does victory taste like? Right. I mean, it's it's the best feeling. Uh, that you can have obviously you know that's that's our goal every year is to be able to win the championship and and to be able to be in the korean series and you know there's only one team at the end of the year that really truly gets to be happy and so you know to finally have our time and you know after 29 years there was a lot of uh, a lot of pressure a lot of a lot of energy going into into that last game so you know just more of a relief and just so happy that we were able to to accomplish our goal Right, 29 years for the fans, but it's also been a long time for you as well. You've been with the LG Twins for five uh, years now, so it must have been uh, extra special for you as well. Yes, I mean, I, this is the longest that I've been with a uh, with a professional team. So me and my family, you know, we call Seoul our home and, and you know, our my kids grew up here and, and my wife loves it here. So, you know, this is definitely a special moment for us and to be able to, to be on the team for five years and go through the ups and downs and, um, you know, experience the tough times and the good times. And, 
you know, obviously having relationships with the with my with my teammates and the coaching staff and and the front office for LG. And how did you and the team celebrate? Were there any memorable incidents? What did you get up to? <laughs> well, you know, we we were celebrating on the field and we were you know doing champagne showers and I think it was uh, you know, it was it was maybe 25 degrees out and uh you know it was so cold and our you know our hands were so numb when we were doing the champagne and you know drinking drinking some some beer on the field and just trying to just celebrate with the fans uh that was uh that was a really special moment and you're completely soaked and it's cold out and um you know it was it was it was, it was just a great experience Right. Were you confident going into the Korean series? The team had obviously come out on top uh, for the regular season as well. So the team, they were on good form, of course. But still, I imagine that there were nerves going into such an important series, uh, especially with the weight of history uh, on your shoulders as well. 29 years. Yeah, I mean, we obviously had finished first in the in the during the regular season, and that was a huge accomplishment for us. And so we were, you know, that was kind of the first goal that we had. And um, you know, to, to have a three week layoff and, and then to start the Korean series, there's so much buildup and energy. And, um, obviously, you know, with it being 29 years and, you know, our fans being so passionate, um, there was a lot of nerves. I think, uh, you know, especially for myself, I was, I was nervous every game and I feel like I was stress eating. I tell my wife that I was, I was just stress eating every day because, you know, it was just so much, um, just so much fun to be a part of it. And uh, so it was, you know, I think everybody was, had a little nerves, but, you know, good in a good way and good energy. Right. What were you stress eating? <laughs> uh, usually we have snacks in the dugout. So, you know, like little Snickers bar, like candy bars. <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, eating, eating a lot of ramen before the games to make sure that I was, uh, that I was full. And um, at night, just eating a lot of candy and, and you know, not being able to sleep. Right. As a professional sports uh, athlete, I'm not sure what people would think about uh, snacking all those uh, Snickers bars and uh, ramyun uh, when there's such an important series on the line. Yeah, I know. But I think it gave me uh, good stamina, good energy for uh, for us to be able to to pull out the the win at the end of the end of the series. And, you know, every game is, um, you know, there's so much. passion that goes into it so you're just very very tired at the end of each game and so you know you definitely have to refuel your body for that indeed and you said you were nervous going to it you were the starter for game one and also the final game five as well the crucial uh series clinching game of course uh you've had a difficult season as well this year right so was that part playing into your nerves i don't think uh the difficult season played a part in it because I had, I had pitched the the second half of the season was obviously much better than the first half. And so I was feeling very confident with my skills going into the Korean series. Um, you know, it's just part of the unknown part of not knowing what's going to happen. And so, you know, I think the nerves and the, and the energy are always good because it's just getting your body ready for all the things it's going to experience for the series. And you need to, have every ounce of energy poured into the focus and concentration of what you need to do. And so, you know, obviously nerves aren't a bad thing. And so I think that just trying to take that, you know, one pitch at a time and just making sure that you were focused on the job that you needed to do. Right. You mentioned that the second half of the regular season uh, picked 
that's where things turned around for you. But how do you think you turned it around? What was there a moment or something changed for you uh, during the season? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the first first half of the season just wasn't clicking. You know, for whatever reason, my mechanics. Um, you know, trying to do too much, trying to be perfect every time out and uh i think the second half of the season was just you know just continue to believe in myself i know that i can pitch at a very high level in this league and i know what i'm fully capable of doing and so it was just kind of it was just getting back to the simple things of believing in yourself and knowing that you can um that you can do the things that you've done in the past and my teammates were so supportive of me you know they never doubted me one time this year and i think that was really big along with the LG front office and my coaches uh, just continually to, to support me all year was really what would help me get through. Talking of your teammates, what factors do you think led to such a successful season for uh, the team this year? I mean, uh, last year we felt like we had one of the better teams of, to, to be able to win the Korean series also. And, you know, we, we came up short, which was, um, I think everybody was very upset about that. So coming into this season uh, was, you know, that was our main goal. It was, it was kind of, you know, Korean series or bust. And, um, you know, OG Wan, our captain, is just so good at making everybody feel comfortable and everybody buys into that. And we were just really one team this year. Um, you know, there wasn't one person that, um, that was the reason we won. It was every single person on our team helping us win in different ways, whether it was, um, you know, bunting or, or hit and run or our bullpen, starting pitching. There were so many people that contributed to our success this year to where it was really a team effort. Right. So it's not, I guess, just one factor. It's a collection of factors that led to this uh, victory. Because uh, fans, I'm sure, they would have seen a good teams in the past before, but they'll be asking the players why it's taken so long. <laughs> I mean, it's it. Baseball is a hard sport. It's you know not always the best team doesn't always win. And, you know, it's the team that gets the hottest at the right time and the right time of the season, and and just kind of rides the good energy. And mm. you know, I think this year for us, it was we just really never we never plateaued. We just continued to get better every single day. And uh, you know, when even when we would have some tough times during the season, you know, Ojiwan and and Kim Hon Su were just you know really having meetings and just telling everybody, hey, we're, we're still the best team in the league. Let's just continue to work hard and play good. I imagine this must be the highlight uh, of your time in Korea so far. But looking back now, how would you summarize your time in the KBO? I mean, it's I feel like I've grown up here. You know, when when I first signed here, me and my wife had just uh, just got married and you know, fast forward five years and we have two kids here that, that have pretty much spent more time in Korea than, than they have in the States. And um, from the baseball standpoint, it's, I've, I've fell in love with baseball again. It's given me new, new energy. Um, you know, before I came over here, I was up and down the big leagues and AAA and, you know, kind of just being a little bit bitter and not really enjoying baseball and coming over here and, and just the, the embracement from uh, my teammates and from, the fans in LG is just, you know, give you so much energy and all they want you to do is win and succeed. And so it's just, it's been amazing five years and I'm just so happy that uh, I was able to be a part, a little, a small part of the, the championship this year. And the fans, the long suffering fans, I mean, <laughs> all five games of the Korean series were played before uh, sellout crowds. 
uh, including at the Changchun Stadium on Monday night. 23,750 fans. I think that was the uh, final count. But at every game of the series so far, the majority of the fans were uh, LG fans. Can you tell us about what they mean to you and the club? Uh, I mean, amazing. They... Uh... All year, I mean, they've 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 supported us even you know during the the COVID years of not being able to come to the stadium and watching on TV and just continuing to support us even through those uh, those years was was amazing and you know this year to have sellout crowds and to be able to play as well as we did for them, uh, it, I mean, like the, the Korean series was so loud. I remember sitting on the field after the first pitch in, in game one and just the crowd roar was so loud where I just kind of had to step back and take a deep breath because I had never heard jam show like that before. And so it was just an amazing experience. And even when we went to Suwon, um, it felt like a home game because there were so many LG fans there. And, um, you know, they really, you know, even when we lost game one, the, the fans, you know, made us feel like that we were going to, mm. we were going to win the Korean series no matter what. So that was, um, you know, all all to them of just supporting us and, and, you know, getting us the energy that we needed to win. Right. And a final quick word to the fans. What message do you have to them? LG Twins fans, I love you. And thank you for all your support throughout the years. Uh, we're so happy that we were able to finally give you guys a championship after 29 years. I know that you guys have waited a long time for that. And we're just so excited to be able to share that with you guys and we pray, we hope that we can we can do it again soon and not wait 29 years for the next one. <laughs> LG fighting. They'll certainly be hoping that it's not another 29 years. Congratulations on making history once again and becoming a hero to LG fans out there. We really hope you enjoy it as well. That's where we're going to have to leave it. We've been talking to Casey Kelly, starting pitcher for the Korean Series champions, LG Twins. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you. This is documentary director Lee Jin-young. You're now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. We've come to our closing segment now, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features or reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, we have joining us in the studio our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. So I believe just one story today, right? Yes. So what do you have for us? So a survey was conducted by two South Korean matchmaking agencies and it asked the question, what phrases would you like to hear more frequently from your partner? I thought the answers were pretty interesting. So that is why I chose No Gyeong Min's article in the hashtag career section of the Korea Herald. Okay, so that does sound interesting. Phrases you would like to hear from your partner. Yes. So who were the participants of the survey and what were the most popular answers? So participants were divorced singles in Korea. Uh, they were just over, there were just over 500 people who answered questions. The idea was to find out some of the things they longed for when they were married. Ah, I see. And it was interesting to see the differences in answers that men and women gave. Right, so let's go through some of the top phrases then. I presume the answers were... 
pretty different. Yeah, a yes and no. So the top answer for men was you're the best, which interestingly was the second best answer for women. And the top uh, top choice for women was good job, which was the second best answer for men. So right. they were a little similar. Yeah, uh, that does sound perhaps awkward, I think, for uh, international listeners. But they are a direct translation of yes. Korean phrases. Tangshin sure. uh, uh, you're the best, and or good job or well done. So it shows perhaps that people want to be encouraged or praised right. for what they've done. <laughs> right, yeah. But now this is where it gets interesting, and I'm not sure how to feel about this next answer. So the third phrase that women wanted to hear the most was, I love you. I am a little surprised it wasn't higher on the list. <laughs> but something that surprised me more was, for men, I love you was at the bottom of the list. Right, that is interesting. I think uh, there's potentially so much to psychoanalyze there about what this might why this might be the case sure. uh, but yes we're probably uh, not qualified to explore that <laughs> exactly. too deeply here but that is interesting do the survey results show any other interesting bits of information uh, yes the participants gave the main reason for their divorces or why they considered divorce for men the primary reason was uh, ostracization or bullying by family members for women the top answer was gachil now this is a term used to describe someone who has an arrogant or authoritarian attitudes so they abuse their power yeah and i feel like the answers were pretty much korean orientated um i'm curious to see how people from un- other countries would respond yes i do feel you're right there especially the phrases sure. uh, that we mentioned earlier it's almost a little sad to go through the reasons yeah. that led to uh, divorces but i guess there are lessons that could be learned yeah maybe people who read this article can maybe take these these little bits of information and use it for their husbands or wives as well indeed richard you're the best. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the lowest on the list. Yeah, yes, oh, I yeah, want sorry. you to tell me to good job. <laughs> sorry. Okay, well, anyway, on that note, yes, perhaps, uh, uh, yes, hopefully we can stave off any potential divorce as well. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Thank you for bringing us that story, Richard, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. And that's where we wrap up our show. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.